Chapter Thirty Five of Bill Nye's Cordwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bill Nye's Cordwood by Bill Nye. Chapter Thirty Five Declined with Thanks. Bill Nye politely refuses the job of King of Bulgaria. He gives his reasons for the declination and throws in chunks of heavyweight advice. Advisability of forming a royal trades union. Bill Nye has furnished to the world the following copy of a cable dispatch just forwarded to the Allied powers of Europe. Slippery Elmhurst, Hudson, Wisconsin. To the Allied powers, care of Lord Salisbury. Gentlemen. Your favor of recent date regarding my acceptance of the Bulgarian throne, which is now vacant and for rent, in which note you tender me the use of said throne for one year with the privilege of three, is at hand. You also state that the Allied powers are not favorable to Prince Nicholas, and that you would prefer a dark horse. Looking over the entire list of obscure men, it would seem you have been unable to fix upon a man who has made a better showing in this line than I have. While I thank you for this kind offer of a throne that has, as you state, been newly refitted and refurnished throughout, I must decline it for reasons which I will try to give in my own rough, unpolished way. In the first place I read in the dispatches today that Russia is mobilizing her troops, and I do not want anything to do with a country that will treat its soldiers in that way. Troops have certain rights as well as those who have sought the pleasanter walks of peace. That is not all. I do not care to enter into a squabble in which I am not interested. Neither do I care to go to Bulgaria in the capacity of a carpet-bag monarch from the ten-cent counter, wearing a boiler-iron overcoat by day and a stab-proof corset at night. I have always been in favor of Bulgaria's selection of a monarch viva voce, or vox populi, whichever you think would look the best in print. I hate to see a monarch in hot water all the time and threatening to abdicate. Supposing he does abdicate, what good will that do when he leaves a widow with nothing but a second-hand throne and a crown two sizes too small for his successor? I have always said, and I still say, that nothing can be more pitiful than the sight of a lovely queen whose husband, in a wild frenzy of remorse, has abdicated himself. Nothing, I repeat, can be sadder than this picture of a deserted queen, left high and dry without means, forced at last to go to the pawnbrokers with a little plated, fluted crown with rabbit-skin ear-tabs on it. We are prone to believe that a monarch has nothing to do but issue a ukaz or a mandamus, and that he will then have all the funds he wants. But such is not the case. Lots of our most successful monarchs are liable to be overtaken any year by a long cold winter, and found as late as Christmas reigning in their summer scepters. I am inclined also to hesitate about accepting the Bulgarian throne for another reason. I do not care to be deposed when I want to do something else. I have had my deposition taken several times, and it did not look like me either time. I think that you monarchs ought to stand by each other more. If you would form a society of free and independent monarchs there in Europe, where you are so plenty, you could have a good time, and every little while you could raise your salaries if you worked it right. Now you pull and haul each other all the time and keep yourselves in hot water day and night. 
That's no way for a dynasty any more than for anyone else. It impairs your usefulness and fills our telegraphic columns full of names that we cannot pronounce. Every little while we have to pay the operator at this end of the cable ten dollars for writing in a rapid flowing hand that meanwhile Russia will continue to disregard the acts of the Sobranje. Why should a great country like Russia go about trying to make trouble with a low-priced Sobranje? I think that a closer alliance of crowned heads whose interests are identical would certainly relieve the monotony of many a long, tedious reign. If I were to accept the throne of Bulgaria, which is not likely, so long as my good right arm can still jerk a fluent cross-cut saw in the English tongue, I would form a syndicate of monarchs with grips, passwords, explanations, and signals. Every scepter would have a contralto whistle in the butt-end which could be used as a sign of distress, while the other end could have a cork in it, and then steering a tottering dynasty down through the dim vista of crumbling centuries would not be so irksome as it now is. As it is now, three or four allied powers ask a man to leave his business and squat on a cold hard throne for a mere pittance, and then just as he begins to let his whiskers grow and learns to dodge a big porcelain bomb, those same allied powers jump on top of him all spraddled out and ask him for his deposition. That is no way to treat an amateur monarch who is trying to do right. You can see that unless you stand by each other, the thrones of Europe will soon be empty, and every two-dollar-a-day hotel in America will have an heir apparently to the throne for a head waiter, with a coronet put on his clothes with a rubber stamp and a loaded scepter up his sleeve. If you want to rear your children to love and respect the monarchy industry, you must afford them better protection. I say this as a man who may not live to be over one hundred years of age, and with my feet thus settling in to the boggy shores of time, let me beg of you, monarchs and monarchesses, to make your calling an honorable one. Teach your children and their children to respect the business by which their parents earned their bread. Show them it is honorable to empire a country if they do it right. Teach them that to do right is better than to fraudulently turn a jack from the bottom of the pack. Teach them it is better to be a popular straight out-and-out -out artisan king who is sincere about it than to be a monarch who dares not leave his throne night or day for fear that somebody will put a number of bombs under it or criticize him in the papers. End of chapter 35 End of Bill Nye's Cordwood by Bill Nye Recording by Philip Gould